Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. And I'm going to preach a message today entitled, What Are You Thinking? What are you thinking? So Lord, do it again, what only you can do, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Give it up for Daniel. (laughs) We love Daniel. So so Dr. Tony Evans, uh, if you have ever heard of Dr. Tony Evans, he is an incredible uh, pastor, leader, patriarch of our day. He, He gives an illustration, which I think is fitting for our day, in regards to football. It's football season. And he talks about how on any given football Sunday, there's three teams on the field. You have the two opposing teams, in this case, we'll do the Niners and the Raiders, who are constantly in conflict, uh, both the fans and the team here in the Bay Area. But then there's, there's, there's a third team, and it's the team of officials. It's the team of referees. And the team of referees, they're on the field, but they're not of the field. They, they answer to an authority that's higher than themselves. They answer to the NFL or the National Football League. And their goal is not to be popular. Their goal is to execute calls and decisions to make sure the game is in order. And they have a playbook to follow. And so all of their officiating should be filtered through this particular playbook. Every decision, every call that is made. Their goal is not to be popular. Their goal is to make a great call. How many of you know one call can change the entire game? Their goal is to make a right decision. The right call on the right play. So I'm not a big sports guy. I watch sports once in a while. Me and my daughters, we like to watch the Warriors together. But what I will say, it's very frustrating when a ref makes a bad call. Especially when you're really in the game. When they don't make a call according to the playbook. You know, there's been times where you wonder, is this referee, have they been bought? In the past, some refs have. Or they tend to favor a particular team. It's the worst. You know this is happening when you start to yell at your TV or you introverts, you're yelling in your heart. You may not be yelling at the TV, but you, you say things like, what are you thinking? Are you serious? What was that? Where's your focus? Are you watching the same game I am? And then some of you guys say words that you may need to repent for today. As you're engaging in this game of football, it's so amazing how grown men and women get so frustrated if some kid's throwing a ball. It's like sometimes we, we, we can, our salvation, our fruit of the spirit just starts falling from the tree. But it's, it's, it's frustrating when we see a, a bad call. We're wondering where their focus is. We're wondering if they're watching the same game we are. Because there's one thing that we understand is this, is that our focus will direct our decisions. And so as a follower of Jesus... We're not referees, we're not a team of officials, but we are in the world and not of the world. God has set us apart to be different. God has set us apart for himself. He wants to use us. He's given us authority in the world to make an impact in the day that we live in. But how many of you guys know our focus many times will direct our decisions? So where our head is, is important. In fact, as I bring these up right now, some of you guys, as you look at this 
photo right here, you see an older woman. But in reality, it's a younger woman. Her nose is up here. That's her hair. This is a necklace. She's looking off to the right. It's amazing what we see. Some of you guys here see two faces. Some of you see a vase that you put flowers in. Some here you see a rabbit. Others of you see a duck. Interesting, right? Some of you guys see a toad. Others of you guys see a horse. So you're like, what? Oh. And so our focus has the ability to direct our decisions. And we can make decisions that are great. And we can also make decisions as followers of Jesus that aren't consistent with the playbook. Are you with me? That's why the writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 12. Make every effort. And this effort is, is the sense of like with all that you are to live at peace with everyone, and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance, writes as the oldest son. Now, it's interesting when I say holy, many of us go to a plethora of different places. Some of you, when you think about holy, you think of hmm, nose in the air, arrogant, somebody who thinks they're better than everybody else. Others of you, when you think about holy, you think about like this straight and narrow life where it's boring, no life. Maybe you're kind of living in a monastery somewhere way up in the hills. Sometimes when you think about holy, you think about hypocrites of everybody that claim to be holy. Or think they're holy. There's so many misconceptions about holiness, and we're not going to be able to, again, uncover all of the misconceptions today. But I do want to point out, holiness, it simply means to be set apart for the Lord. It means to be his. A lot of times we think that holiness is just to be good. Holiness means to be good. But can I just tell you this? Before God has called you to be good, he's called you to be his. To be set apart for him. And goodness flows from that. Good works flows from that place. But holiness isn't to start with trying to be good. Holiness starts with being holy his. Meaning all of you, you belong to him. You are set apart. He's really not your savior. He's really Lord of your life. Now, this is a complicated text a little bit. Let me try to break it down as simple as I can. Is that if you don't understand the playbook, if you don't understand the reality of the brokenness and the fracture in our world as a result of sin, in our life as a result of sin, if you don't understand that dynamic and the reality of our need for a Savior and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never confessed him as Lord, you've never confessed him as your Savior, then you're going to walk in darkness and are never going to be able to see all that he is. You're never going to be able to see all that he has for you, his love for you, and experience what life is about both here and in the life to come in eternity. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and your life isn't consistent with who we're called to be, set apart as his, and we're not living a life that is exemplifying a set apart life, you say one thing, you say you believe this, but you're living something else. And what ends up happening is, is we hurt other people, and it, it can be a hindrance to people experiencing the grace of God. You hurt others by the way that we live. We hurt others by the way that we live. And it can be difficult for them to see Jesus when they're seeing duality. 
You're saying you're set apart for him, but your life looks nothing like that. And so just like a ref making a bad call, it affects the whole game. So our life as followers of Jesus don't just affect us, but they affect other people and their perception of Jesus when they look at our lives. No matter how we want to slice and dice it, it's just reality. And so, so for us, we don't want to live opposite of what we preach. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. Because, you know, when you slip, in a, slip up in a moment's time, people can get that. And you apologize. Hey, man, I, I lost my temper. Hey, I shouldn't have said that. Hey, I'm so sorry I came off this way. Or, or maybe I did this. It was totally unlike my character. People get that. But I'm talking about a pattern and a lifestyle that is in complete contradiction. That what we say we believe, we're personifying something totally different. And, and people look at us like, where's your head? Like, you made that kind of a call? I thought you were. So is this what holy is? You say this, but you reflect. So it can be tough. It can be really tough. And our, our lives have a huge impact and implication on other people. We can fall short of the grace of God, get bitter. Got to make sure that we're not just selling, our, like our faith, just, we're just not bought and sold everywhere we go. Just bought and sold. And we've all made a lot of bad decisions. Can I get an amen? We've all had our eyes fixed on the wrong thing. But what if today we all decided that we're just going to fix our focus? That we're going to fix our focus on the Lord. That we're going, to, we're going to fix our focus on his playbook, on the right calls. We're going to let him shape us, inform us, every aspect of our life. Can I tell you what will happen? We start to position our life at that moment for a life worthwhile. For a life of meaning and purpose with minimal regrets, especially for the people around us. I was looking at a picture of my daughter the other day and I started to cry. I'm like, oh my goodness, time is going by so fast. I want to make sure my focus is right. And what happens is when we, we fix our focus, it's not just going to go well with our soul. We're going to win a lot of other people to Jesus. We're going to help people see Jesus clearly, which is the mission of not just our church, but should be of our life. But our focus will direct our decisions. And, and if we're not careful, if we're not careful, what ends up happening is this. What ends up happening is that we give our life to Jesus, we trust in him, or we've been following him for some time. We declare that he's Lord over our life. We say all the right things. He set me apart as holy, yes. But then so often, after we give our life to Jesus or after we've been following Jesus for a while, rather than keeping our focus on him, we get the focus back onto ourselves, back onto our efforts and our performance to try to live this holy life. I got it from here. I'm going to walk this out. I'm good, Lord. I, I, I know. I'm, I'm good. I got this. It's, it's so subtle. Nobody that's following Jesus would ever say, yeah, I've intentionally gotten my focus off of Jesus and back onto myself. But a lot of times we find ourselves there when we realize it doesn't work. It's frustrating and it's exhausting. Matt Chandler says it this way. He said, when you understand the process of holiness correctly, the greater life, freedom, and love for God you will have. The more you misunderstand how this takes place, the more weary, difficult the Christian life will be to you. And so the moment we trust in Jesus, he puts his spirit on the inside of us and the process of restoration begins. There was a couple that, that went to a garage sale. Any dumpster divers in the house today? 
None of you guys dumpster dive, okay. You will one day. You can find some good stuff. 50 cents. They went to a garage sale. 50 cents. They found this painting painted by a famous person they didn't know. That when, full, when Pool first came out in the early 1900s, a famous painter painted this particular painting. So they didn't realize what they had. They offered 50 cents. Well, they got it evaluated. And it comes to find out that this painting is worth about 10 grand. And so they took it to a specialist to kind of fix it up a little bit, get the dust off, replace the tears. Now, it's important to understand that the specialist is not creating or, or, or making it something of value. It's already valuable. What the specialist is doing is returning the painting to what it always was intended to be, but you just can't see it anymore. It just can't be seen in its original state. So that's what the specialist wants to do, to get the painting back to its real position. Are you guys tracking with me? And so the moment you trust in Jesus, God places his spirit on the inside of you. And at that moment, you are positionally right before God. You are saved, covered in the blood of Jesus, forgiven. Everybody say amen. But then there's this process of restoration, some call it sanctification, where God is now reprogramming. We have some old habits, we have some tears, we have some hurts, God is healing, God is binding, God is renewing. I like to say it like this, the pursuit of holiness is not about us trying hard to become something we're not. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to heal and transform us to live and reflect who we really are in Christ. And so in other words, holiness is not about performing, it's about beholding. And it sounds, it preaches so good, but it's so hard, especially today. Look, look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, so all of us who have had the veil removed, like we're not blinded anymore, we are in Christ, the veil has been lifted, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. There's something about beholding as we begin to see, behold the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus, the grace, his love, all that he is, the beauty of the gospel. That somehow in that beauty, we are transformed and we begin to reflect that beauty in the earth. The tough part is, is focus. The tough part is, is beholding. It's tough. For all of us who have had the veil removed can see. This word see, better translation is behold. Focus is a fight. I think it's one of the reasons why we live so inconsistent and sporadic. Because we've lost sight of this beautiful reality of how the spirit of God transforms us. I just got back from a preaching masterclass in Vermont. Vermont is beautiful in this time of the year. We were there at peak season. So everybody said the same thing. You came at the perfect time because in about four weeks, it's going to be like hell in this place. It's going to be cold, dark. It's, so you came at a great time. But I, I was on my way from Boston, from the airport to Woodstock, Vermont. It's about two and a half hour drive. I'm by myself. And I just really sensed the Lord saying, just take it in. It's so beautiful. The drive, East Coast is beautiful. If you've never been to the East Coast, it's beautiful. And just, just take it in. And can I just tell you, now I'm your pastor, but I'm not exempt from distraction. 
everything inside of me was like, well, let me, let me throw on a podcast. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, no, just behold, just look, look at the leaves. It's beautiful. And this, this is how it works. I'm going to put on a podcast. No, 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 no. I put my phone in. Not, not going to do, not going to do the podcast. And then I thought, you know what I'll do? I'm going to do, I'm going to YouTube a documentary on Boston so I can know everything about Boston. I want to know like where to go, what to eat. I want to know the history of it, all that good stuff. Going to get some good sermon material from it. I'll probably, no, 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 not, not, not going to do that. Then I thought, who can I call? I need to call somebody. I need to tie up some loose ends. I need to make sure, you know, I mean, it's the middle of the week. Things are in motion. Let me see who I can call. No, no, no. Let me, let me put, and then this was crazy. I had this thought, let me just throw on a Netflix. I'm not even that guy. Like, there's a couple of shows that, that I got into at, at one point or another, but I'm not that guy. I'm not Netflix. I'm driving. <laughs> but can I just tell you, there's something for me that when I look at creation, it stirs my affections for Jesus. As I look and behold, it, it puts my heart in that space of you are creator of all things. And, and why do you think it's so tough to read the scripture. Why do you think there's such a fight to pray? Because Satan is okay with you performing, escaping, and he's okay with, with distracting. He just doesn't want you beholding. Because the reality is how we're transformed. Listen, how we live a holy life is not by trying to avoid sin. It's by beholding Christ. A lot of times, like if I told you right now, don't think of a pink elephant, boom, you all just thought of a pink elephant. So sometimes we think, I'm going to try really, really hard not to sin and live holy. I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And then the whole time you're just meditating and beholding on sin. The reality is pursuing Christ. How do you avoid sin? Pursue Christ. Behold him. It, you, you can't behold both at the same time. And so he wants to do whatever he can to keep us from beholding. Because if he keeps us from beholding, there will be no transforming. And without transforming, there will be no power. And we will live with a form of godliness but have no power in our life, as Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so, so right before service, this is Bring Sunday, and our power goes out. We, we plug in, you know, two of those blow-ups, and it blows the breaker. The room upstairs is locked. Thank God your pastor wasn't always saved. Broke into that bad boy. <laughs> Andrew flipped that switch. Back in business. But can I just tell you, before that, before that, those blow-ups out there, they had a form. But there's no power. You can't enjoy life with no power. And so, so how, do we, how do we actually, how does this flesh out? Well, I would propose this. If we are going to live holy, we have to think holy. We have to think holy. Little play on words, but you figure it out. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 16 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and be, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Speaking of his return, his second coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. We're not ignorant anymore. But just as he who called you was holy, so be holy. Be his in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Notice before he talks about holiness, the intellect is engaged. Which might be foreign to some of you because a lot of times we think as Christians or there's this perception that when we become Christians, it's like a blind faith. Now, Christianity isn't a blind faith. That was never Paul's arguments He's for the resurrection. He said there's been over 500 witnesses. Many are still alive. Go and see. It's never been about a blind faith. You hear me say that all the time. But I also think sometimes we, we almost, if we're not careful, can just think, okay, like I'm just going to, you just trust God and, 
and, and, and just walk and live your life. And God's just, he's just going to work everything out. And yeah, and, and yeah, he is sovereign and God does know what he's doing. But Paul is saying, I want you to be engaged in your thought life. Like, like think, think about this. I, I want your mind engaged. So many people in the world think when you come to Christ, you check out your brain at the door. And that is not true. Like the world's perception, people say this. Oh, I, I cannot be religious. I'm a thinker. I'm, I'm, a thinker. I'm a man or a woman of science. And because I think surely I can never be a, a Christian because you guys are crazy. I don't know what you guys are thinking sometimes. And, and w- what they're saying is, you guys make some bad calls sometimes. Like I, I see some of the plays that you run. And so you find somebody in the Bay Area like that, this perspective, there's so many. And when I'm in these conversations, I, I do a little exercise, and I would just say something like this. Can I spend the entire afternoon with you? They're like, what? I just want to spend the whole, the whole day with you. Well, Why? I don't know, I just thought it'd be cool we just hang out all day. And you can tell, like, if you ask somebody this, they'll get real awkward quick. Like, what? Because that's a lot to ask, especially in the Bay Area. We're busy, our schedules, time is precious. And so most people won't say that. They won't say, that's a lot to ask. They'll say, oh, I mean, I got so much going on, you know, maybe another time. But what they're really thinking is, what would be, like, you want me to spend all afternoon with no purpose? Like, I'm sure if I said, hey, I, w- I want to talk to you about this million-dollar deal I got going. Would you sit down and can we spend the day together? Absolutely, for sure. Let's sit down and have a dollar. I'll buy lunch. Because there's purpose behind it. So, so my response to that would be like, yeah, I, I get it. It is a lot of time. But what about your life? Like, if an afternoon is so precious... How about your entire life? Like, like, what is your life for? Well, it's for my career. It's for my family. Okay. It's for your career. It's for your family. What are you hoping to accomplish at the end? Like, what is the meaning of your life? What difference will it make the, for the fact that you are living right now? And most people, when you get to this point of the conversation, get frustrated a little bit, a little irritated. Like, oh, I know where you're going. You're getting religious on me. In reality, they don't want to think about that. Like, if I thought about that all the time, I'd be depressed, Pastor Matt. I'd be miserable. So really what you're telling me is you get your peace from not thinking. Not from thinking. Are you with me on that? Let it, let it, let it sit in. See, Christianity is the opposite of that. If there is no God and at the end of our life we just rot, then nothing we're doing right now matters. There's no meaning to any of it at all. So why do we care so much? Because God has placed eternity in the heart of every man and every woman. That's why we care. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt when we look into a casket, there's got to be more than this. This cannot, this cannot be the end. Something is broken about this. And Jesus said, yeah, that's why I came. Because there, there is more to life than this. That's why we care so much. So Peter says, be sober. Get your mind engaged. This wording is extremely careful. I want you to be reflective. I want you to be as intentional as a scholar putting together their best work. Think critically. And and what does he say? He says, and then prepare your minds for action. King James says, gird up the loins of your mind. 
See, back in the day, they would have flowy robes. Baggy was in for a long time. Even the guys, super baggy. Flowing robes, like the robes were the deal back in the day. So if you were going to be active, you would have to take your little baggy clothes, tuck them into your belt, and then you can run. Paul talks about this spiritually in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, listen, any soldier that's going to war, there's a matter of life and death. What does he do? He tucks everything into the belt of truth. So, so what, what Peter is saying is, listen, I don't want you just pondering a philosophical thought. I want you thinking life and death. I, I don't want you just thinking, wow, what a great point. Hmm. No, it, it, I want you thinking about your faith in such a way that the implications of it affect every area of your life. You are wholly his. Your marriage, your purity, your career, your ministry, your money, every aspect so, when we fix our focus on Christ, this is where he begins to fix our focus. How do we fix our focus? We, we, we get our focus on him. Now, now, I'm going somewhere. So, just some of you Christians are like, I already know where you're going with this message. No, you don't. <laughs> Lean in. So, listen. Restoration. God is removing the junk. God is renewing. God is reviving. God is moving on the inside of us. And the beautiful thing about this is he doesn't do all this and then start with us and then, you know, I'm going to start and then you go off on your own and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and your skinny jeans and go. That's not what he says. How do we, how do we fix our focus? He says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the writer of Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us. Right, because you're running. You, there's a pursuit. So you're, you, you're not just trying, I'm going to really try hard to avoid sin. Don't want to do that. Stop. Don't want to stop. No, no, no. I'm like, I'm running. I'm pursuing. So I'm just throwing stuff off. I'm, I'm, I'm moving in a different direction. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, but also the perfecter of our faith. So he's not just the author of our faith, the founder of it. And then he says, hey, good luck. Have a great time living holy. No, he's the perfecter. He's the sustainer. He's the one that continues to shape and refine and restore us. He doesn't leave us to us. And look what it says. For who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So just get this picture. With joy, he died our death. Rose from the grave. And the resurrection was a receipt that says it's all been paid for. Let that sink into your heart with joy. He took our place with joy. So Peter goes on to say, we're going to bounce back to Peter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. So where do we set our heart on him? How do we do it? Set your hope fully. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, he's speaking about the return of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is going to return. Whether you're post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib, he's coming back. And the signs of the times, I mean, we're living in, some crit in a critical hour. But, but look, look, look what he does. He says, I want you to be propelled by this return as if it's happening right now. 
Some scholars say Peter is speaking with such an urgency that he's like, I want you to think about the return of Christ in such a way. I want you to set your hope in such a way as if it's already happened. But set our hope where? This is, this is the awesome part. Set your hope fully on the grace. Notice how he doesn't say set your heart fully on the event, even though it's going to be spectacular even though the reality of his return should birth an urgency in our heart that time is short and that what do we have awaiting for us? Our glorious inheritance. We have him, that we will rule and reign with him forever. He's prepared a place for us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. But he says, I don't want you to set your hope just there. I want you to set your hope on the fact that you are utterly unworthy of it all. Set your hope fully on the grace. Let that sink in. In light of all that's going to transpire, we are unworthy of it all, yet thanks be to God that we are found in Christ. Unworthy of it all, and yet in Christ, he's given it all to us. Ooh, infinitely unworthy, infinitely loved at the very same time. That's motivating, but you got to think. You got to think it changes the whole window. Like when you're looking through the window of grace, it's different. I didn't want to pay for the photo, so I just use a stock. I don't care. <laughs> Which one is motivating for you? Like some of you artists are like, I love the brick, the crack. I'll just... But let, let's just be honest. Like, like the, the, the window matters. When we're looking through brokenness, I mean, imagine this. Everything is, everything is tattered. When we're, we're focused on looking through the window of me and my performance, how exhausting is it? Every time I look at you, this is, this is, what I, this is the window that I see through, is my performance. It's selfish. It's arrogant. It's insecure. How do you think that's going to manifest in my relationships? How do you think it's going to manifest as I'm looking at Jackie, but as I'm looking, I'm looking at her through this lens of my performance. Just like, wow, Jack, stressed out here, girl. Entitled. Just imagine some of us were just walking around with this broken, it's broken, just a broken lens. So I was just, man, God, I'm trying really, really hard to live holy. I'm exhausted. Don't even know if I want to go to church today. Or you're killing it this week. I am the man. Gosh, everybody should see that I am so awesome. <laughs> even as I'm looking out of this window right now, you know that I am awesome. Dude, right? Uh, opposed to, opposed to, now you know who wrote which one. Jackie wrote this one. Opposed to his grace is the window. We're looking through the reality of the resurrection. We're looking at everybody through the reality of his grace and mercy and goodness towards us. We're like every time I see you, I have to see through this when my hope is set fully on the grace. So I just the joy and the thanksgiving overflowing with gratitude. How do you think it's going to change the game? It's not broken. It's flexible. Forgiveness. Yeah, you burned me, but God has been so good to me when I didn't deserve it, so I got you. I, 
like, and then some of us, we, we, we're kind of confusing because we're like this. We bounce. We're like, yeah. <laughs> Sunday, Monday. <laughs> so true. You know it. And then people are confused. They're like, I don't know what to make of your life. It's like, yeah, Jesus, maybe not. I don't know. Set your hope fully on the grace. The window of grace, supposed to the window of performance. Listen, can I just tell you, he is returning and making all things new. And Dan, you can come up. He's returning and making all things new. So when we walk around fear and intrepidate and looking at what's happening in the world, we've stopped thinking. He's coming to restore all things. Paul says it this way. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, finally, see how much the Bible talks about our mind? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and look at the promise. It's the promise of peace. Some of us have no peace, and I'm not talking about anxiety from a medical condition. I'm just talking about just the, the normal anxieties and ebbs and flow of life. We, we don't have it because we stopped thinking. We stopped looking through this lens. And we're tired. Like when I say that he was filled with joy and died for you and me, if that doesn't stir your heart, you've stopped thinking. If you're like, oh, that's cute, Pastor Matt. What a great little gospel message. I'm sure all the unbelievers need to hear that today. You've stopped thinking. That's elementary. Maybe you've gotten on to yourself as being the perfecter because you know everything now. You've stopped thinking. Paul, Peter, the writers of scripture were always saying, you got to look through the lens of the gospel. The gospel isn't a moment in time. It's a brand new lens that you begin to see life, God, people, yourself, and the world through. As you look at your ministry, as you look at your home, as you look with interacting with your neighbors, you look at your families, you look at your marriages, as you look at your purity, as you look, don't cease to think. Don't do that. Because the promise is Peace. 2 Samuel chapter 23, David, King David is about to become king, Philist, or became king. The Philistines were not excited about that. So they decided to invade. David flees to the wilderness. Philistines take over Bethlehem. And David is sitting there with his, his mighty men. He's tired, he's exhausted, he's human. He's sitting back and he lets out this sigh. He said, oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. And when David's mighty men heard this sigh, now remember, before they were mighty, David found these men distressed, discontent, and in debt. And Dave said, yeah, I pick you. And now there's some of the most valiant soldiers on the planet. All of that has been reversed. And they just hear this sigh in light of their king, and it says, these mighty wars broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. But David was blown away. David was not expecting this. So he's like, whoa, 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 only the Lord is worthy of that kind of devotion. You guys are next level. He didn't even have to beg or just a sigh because as they looked at the grace of the king on their life and where it was and where it is, they're like, I will break through any enemy lines, territory. And they brought the water back and didn't even spill it. 
how much more our King of Kings steps out of heaven in bodily form into enemy territory, suffers and dies filled with joy because we're on the other side of that. So you and I could drink a cup of water. When you see that, oh man, his grace, his grace. It's a whole new lens. It's a whole new window. It's not a window that's bound by cracks and no, it's the, the, it's the, the horizon is beautiful. It's right. It's pure. It's the way it's supposed to be. So my question to you today is this. My daughter drew, drew a little. She said, Dad, what are you preaching on? I told her what I was preaching on. This is what she drew. Just little light bulbs over the head. What are you thinking about? Is it the gospel? Is it the gospel? Or is it yourself? Two windows to choose from. So what are you asking me to do? I'm just saying, hey, can we get back to thinking? Prepare our minds for action. Tucking in all of our thoughts to the belt of truth. So that we can reflect the beauty and the glory and the majesty where the world looks and says, that's what I want. I want that. Not like, mm-hmm. Yep. When people look at our lives, are we reflecting the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the gospel? I'm not saying perfection. This, this right here, this is actually the opposite. We know it's not about perfection. We know it's by his grace. I just tell you, his grace is a far more motivating factor than you trying really, really hard. You can follow him from approval or you can follow him trying to earn approval. It doesn't work. It's a treadmill. The cross says you're approved, not because of your works, but because of his. Let's look through a brand new window. Would you stand to your feet? Speaking of truth, but maybe today you've never trusted Jesus as your savior. Today is the day. You say, Pastor Matt, I need to look through a new window today. I need to look through the window of grace. I've been looking through performance. You may be in church your whole life and you're still looking through the window of performance. It happened to the Galatians. Paul said, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You who begun in the spirit are now trying to perfect in the flesh. What happened? Peter started favoring the Gentiles or favoring the Jews when the Gentiles came around. Paul's like, what are you doing, Peter? You're not keeping in step with the gospel. You put on the old window. So maybe today there, there just needs to be a fresh commitment in your heart to say, Lord, I, I need to start looking through the lens of your grace again, the beauty of the gospel and behold you again. And maybe for others of you, you've never beheld him at all. Like, what does that even mean? The Bible says that if we confess Jesus as our Lord and believe that he died and rose again for our sins, took our punishment upon himself, that we would be saved. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just say, I need a new window today, whether you need to rededicate your life or maybe for the first time, just say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I give you my life confess you as my Lord. I pray you'd break the old window of self-dependence, self-focus, selfishness, performance. God, I want to do great, but I want to do it looking through the window of grace. Would you forgive me for my sins? 
wash me clean, restore me, heal me, set me free, fill me with your spirit, give me eyes to see. I confess you as my Lord, give you all that I am. I want to be wholly yours in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand today? Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.